Keep dreaming that someday we'll be more professional. Hmm. Never! Yeah, I know. I'm like, let me gulp down this beer, burp. Oh. I know we're supposed to go right into it, but now I'm all like, hey, how's it going, microphone? <laughs> ah. Okay. How you doing? Good. <laughs> okay, okay. So, I go on to Twitter sometimes. And sometimes? Yeah, Twitter? Is that one of those social mediums? It captures the essence of the planet really well. Ooh. Because, you know, it's, it's so unbiased and all that kind of stuff. You know. Anyway, um, and be, one of the things we have been, you and I, and then some other friends of ours, have been talking about a lot is the amount of information coming out that is, what is it you often say? Scientistic? Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> so the, lot, the amount of scientific information reports, usually, you know, we're talking uh, New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times type reports that are basically just someone writing about something you know that scientists have done and have published or have put out as a preprint somewhere like an archive kind of um depository or whatever anyway science journalism yeah Yeah. well yeah not sure i mean yes but who knows sometimes i wonder if some of these are science journalists but uh it's just a big machine right now and it has everything to do with COVID. And you and I talk about this like, gosh, it seems like every other sentence has to do with us mentioning about like, oh, COVID's on your shoes. So you're going to die now and mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck. Uh, you know, what color are your toes? Is, yeah, exactly. Or, or whatever it is. It's like six feet isn't enough, you know, or whatever. So this one scientist uh, who's a postdoc. I don't know where. doesn't matter. You can follow her on Twitter if you want, if you don't already, or whatever. Kristen Hook, PhD. Um, Do you have a blue check? No. Then fuck it. Okay, carry on. She says, she has this big thread. I'm not going to read the whole fucking thing. But she has this thread basically saying, I might not actually read it at all. I could probably summarize. (laughs) How does that feel, folks? Um, That she's noticing that Jagovs, like, Harlan and myself are talking about this stuff a lot. We're like, ah, look at all these stupid reports. Um, And she's wanting to clarify or give some context as to the background as to what's going on when you see all these reports coming in from New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, whatever. You know, if your toes are blue, you've got COVID and you've got three minutes to live kind of shit. Um, or, you know, antibodies have been testing and we're all, we already have it and what's the use and all that kind of crap. Um, and so she just kind of lays out this whole thread about, well, this is how science is done. And it essentially starts out talking about how somebody is doing some kind of, you know, they're building on some idea or, or they've got one, maybe even. And they want to do the work. In order to do that, they primarily, scientists in 
institutions like universities um, go and apply writing grants for major taxpayer-funded institutions in the government like the National Science Foundation, National Institutes of Health, things along that line. And then that grant writing process is huge because you have to show why it's important. You have to itemize all the where the money might go, potentially, depending on who you're writing to, I suppose. But, you know, you got to, like, take into consideration the costs, but you also have to say why it's important and what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. I'm repeating myself. But um, that's a big process to do that. And then you submit, and that gets reviewed at one of these institutions. And uh, in the process of being reviewed, they could... They could say denied. And so you've spent all this time and energy and effort putting forth, you know, your research proposal. And uh, but if it doesn't get denied, then, hey, you get rewarded uh, with with money to be able to do the research. So now you've got the money and you're doing the research and everything goes along as you predicted or whatever. Like my hypothesis is correct. This is great or something. So once you've got that going. Then say you do the research, you get it all done, everything's great, this is the linear track that you're on, you submit it now once you've finalized the process. Probably, this is one thing she didn't mention, but I'll add it to it, sometimes you submit it to people in your field. You're like, hey Bob, let's look at this, you know, at the, you know, the conference or whatever the fuck, you know, and you're just like, I want you to take a look at this for me before, because usually when you read a scientific journal article, at the bottom there'll be these kind of like informal reviewers. They'll thank by name, like, and these people, you know, put in the time and this is great for us or whatever. And so, but eventually you send it to a journal and usually it's sent to multiple journals because typically what ends up happening is you have to, you know, you get rejected until you finally get accepted potentially somewhere. And so each journal has its own requirements for, how the bibliography is supposed to look and, you know, how much you pay to submit and all that kind of stuff. And then finally, uh, uh, if it gets accepted, then it's got to be, you know, you know, peer reviewed and all that kind of stuff. They're really going to look at it or whatever in their vetting process. Finally, it gets peer reviewed. And if it's all a go, then they'll do the final edits and they'll put it in with the other, you know, uh, you know, whatever volume or, or issue that is coming out next or whatever the schedule is that they have, and you get published. Um, and then if your publication is of value or interest or catches the eye of someone at the New York Times, maybe they'll write about it, you know? So there's this long process that happens. It seems to me, because I've gone through limited uh, amounts of this type of thing, uh, but it seems to me like it's excruciating. Many of these people have lives potentially outside of this work. It's just a lot. It's a, and, it, and it requires a tremendous amount of time and money and effort, all that. And she's just basically trying to say these are the things that ensure that the research that you do look at is to the best of our abilities, hopefully, fingers crossed, all that kind of stuff. Um, and while it's not a perfect system, it is the system that we that collectively scientists and other people in other fields likely using the same model of publications um, 
you know, it's it's kind of the best that we have right now. So when you see these like preprints that are like, oh, antibody tests have come out and blah, blah, blah. Relax. We don't know anything yet. Uh, there may be people who are experts in the field who have a lot of experience with this stuff that might say, yeah, but, uh, you know, red flags are coming up for me for this reason or that or whatever for the research. So it's just the thing that she tried to do to provide some context. And on the one hand, I think, hey, great, good work, you know. And on the other hand, I think, well, even that's not really uh, the, the way as I understand it as things go. Um, there's a lot more to it than just simply that linear process. And I was thinking about it. Well, of course, she's making a thread on something like Twitter, which is totally linear. So how is she going to tell her story? There's no way to branch out and have like a, you know, like a tree of potential things that happen, you know. Uh, you know, where you step forward or not and all that kind of business. But I will ask if you have any questions, Harland, because there's no one else here but you and Knox. And so I thought, well, maybe he's got something to say at this point. I don't know. Well, what it sounds like she is emphasizing with her description of the process to the extent that it's oversimplified and partial is that it she's stressing the conservative nature of the science of science as an institution or the way that it's practiced institutionally on earth 2020 that she was talking about how we need to do this and this is a good thing that you've got to go through an arduous and diachronic process because once something has been published in a quote-unquote respected journal then there's a lot of precedent in science and then it's going to be cited later by someone else and we want to have a fair amount of trust in these repositories of scientific texts because if it were relaxed in these various ways if it were easier to fund research or to publish the results that it would be we'd be in danger of letting through poor quality work, or worse yet, fake. You know, we faked our data or something. And that then that would be hard to expunge from the record moving forward. Is that part of the point yeah. of this? And all of this sounds ideal. It sounds to me like the scientific method way of looking at things, where, you know... <clears throat> You, have, you, you first have an idea, potentially, and then you collect some information to be able to potentially test that idea, and you have a way to be able to answer that hypothesis or to confirm or whatever. And then once confirmed, then maybe you can go through the process some more, and it can kind of live a little longer to retest or however you want to talk about it. And, I mean, I'm not doing it a perfect justice, but it's something along those lines. But as most people in science would say about the scientific method, and I suppose people of, you know, the uh, philosophers of scientists, of science, <laughs> of that nature, that, you know, rarely does that seem to ever be the case, you know, that people go through in those or in that, that order, those kinds of steps. And the other thing that makes me raise my eyebrow is that there's a tremendous amount of pressure already just in describing what goes into vetting and making sure that we can trust the results, that it makes you wonder what the motivations are uh, in general for a person who is doing that kind of work. And who, who, what are the types of people that do that type of work where they're willing to put themselves through all of that? What's the work? 
How good is it? I mean, how much does it really build on it? If it's conservative, then are we moving along at a pace down a path that's going to lead to a dead end? Uh, but are we moving at a super slow pace because everything's super, you know, like, you know, how there are so many questions one could ask about just the whole process in and of itself. But then there's all these other factors that come into play with respect to, say, peer review. You know, um, as I understand, there have been people who test the peer review system by putting into uh, kind of like a Sokol hoax type thing, putting in bogus papers with bogus or wrong information to see how much of it gets caught by the peer reviewers. And oftentimes not enough of it gets caught. So there you have to wonder, okay, well, what might be going on in peer review that might be uh, not producing the kind of trustworthiness that we're looking for or the stringent, uh, you know, testing of a person's, you know, ta- you know, understanding of the air of their field or of whatever it is that they're coming up with. So uh, that's one aspect of it, and I'll get to that in a second. But then the other aspect is, you know, most scientists, it's an extreme, it seems like it's an extremely emotional thing because there's this whole meme in the, at least science Twitter called reviewer number two. I don't know if you've heard of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, even I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, even Harlan's heard. You know, it's like the idea, like the first reviewer is like, yeah, great, I think this is going to be good. And, you know, yeah, there's a few little problems. You, you know, clean up that or whatever, this or that. And, you know, but otherwise, I think you're really contributing. Gets to the second reviewer and they're like, kill yourself now. You <laughs> are worthless. Your science is worthless. Die. And that kill you, like, really is an emotional blow i think to people who are trying to put this work out there and now they feel like they're worthless and all that kind of stuff potentially you know they feel that way but anyway all i'm trying to say is that you have that that kind of those kind of issues as well um and but the thing that comes down like i was thinking about with the peer review thing and like well if mistakes get passed through how are they getting passed through potentially or if there is a you know a really disgruntled and unprofessional approach being taken by reviewers because the you know the 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 authors say of the paper it's just a single blind so they don't know who's reviewing them sometimes they try and do double blind where even the reviewer doesn't know who they're reviewing but in general uh you know it seems to me like there's there's a stress level here going on and um You've already gone through and got the money. So in a way, at least the proposal has been given the thumbs up. And now you have the money. You've done the research. You've got the results. Things have turned out well. Now you're about to go publish. And you're having to face this again after you've got the results already. It just seems like, you know, uh, it, it seems a little bit like the system is not very well oiled. Like there's a lot of gunk in the system slowing things down. In addition to that, the reviewers are extraordinarily busy because they're other scientists themselves. And part of that is because they've got responsibilities with the department. Some of them, like I mentioned before, may already have families or a life outside of their professional life. <laughs> right? Not like they Whatever. Some of them do. Um, many of the principal investigators, it seems like they only, they, I mean, I don't know how much actual research they do. They have their labs if they do lab work. Or they have their groups or whatever of graduate students and then, of course, their colleagues and things like that. But it's, you know, a lot of work that, you know, gets done by other people. Um, so there's a lot of, I don't know how to put it. It just, it's, 
uh, questionable. Some people might want to say ethically, morally wrong kind of stuff. I actually have known at least two or th- two people, maybe three, but I think it was just two people who've, who've mentioned that when they did uh, grants, they were ahead of the grant and not behind it. So they weren't asking for money to do the research. They've already done the research. They have the results. They're going to write a proposal for that research they've already done as if they're going to do it. They get the money because, well, they've done the research, so now they have this solid amount of work done. They have a really good sense for what the results are. Everything's nice, clean, and tidy. And then they go out and uh, write a grant. If they get rewarded for that, then they pay for new research. That they aren't. Oh, and that's what for. you're saying. That's the immoral move or whatever. One of to, the yeah. types of things. So there's that. I don't know if that happens a lot. Probably not. But may I have no idea. But there, like I was telling you, or telling somebody, or saying to myself in my sleep, there's this whole industry of it's like a niche industry of trying to study the studies. You know, um, trying to see what kind of bi- uh, bias in the published literature there is. And so there's the whole thing of big pharma that has a huge impact on uh you know the the research that goes into say clinical trials and and um you know medicine etc uh there's a lot of buying out of doctors if that's you know like medical doctors and things like that who do research and they're on these you know they're getting kickbacks and stuff like that from the major pharma companies or the device companies or whatever it is so there's that end of it too. But I'm not trying to just like poo-poo everything. I'm just trying to say there's a whole bunch of incentives going on. And part of that might be because the publication industry itself is just, it's this, some might say they call it sometimes a, a triple play, which is the scientist goes out, does the proposal, gets the money from the government, which is taxpayer funded typically, you know, if it's NSF or NIH or whatever, they do the work, they produce it, and then they take it to the journal if they get awarded the money. Once they've got results and they feel good about the work they've done and they want to publish it, then essentially it's kind of a collective triple play. Then somebody in their community, you know, their other another scientist reviews that work in the peer review process. So now the scientists are doing the work and they're reviewing the work, right? Now the final part is they have to pay for it once they've done it because it's it's in a collective sense like so their institutions which some of that grant money there's always some money off of the grant that goes off and goes to the university or whatever and that money then gets spent in whatever way it gets spent so maybe some of that goes to the library and maybe the library takes some of that money and spends it on getting all the Elsevier journals or the Wiley journals or whatever it is so in a way it's like all this money kind of gets you know spent within the institution and then the publication is able to you know charge for that and not really have to do any of the spending to get make it all work right taxpayers fund the research first off and then the scientists do all of the work whether it's peer review or the actual science itself and then they effectively have to pay for the privilege to to buy it or you know other people's research so it's a collective thing but it it is kind of like a raw deal for scientists. So it's like, well, what are their motivations? They want tenure. They want to have a job at all. Like they want to not be a goddamn postdoc for the rest of their lives. Or they want to get through 
their PhD and everyone knows that you've got at least 15 publications under your belt by the time you graduate with your doctorate, you know, all that kind of, so much pressure and there's a lot of fraud, not a ton in the sense that it's all fraud, but there's enough out there and it kind of does sort of make for, I don't know, real issues or whatever it is I'm trying to say. However, uh, you know, now we have this whole thing in the psychology, you know, the psychological science. And, you know, there's the whole replication problems that they have because they have a standard about replication that they want to uphold and they can't meet that standard. For whatever reason, you may want to talk about it. In the end, it's like, well, if it's not replicable or, you know, what that tends to do is make somebody not trust how you went about doing it. Did you actually do the work or did you just fudge the numbers? You know, like, why can't I even come close to, you know, come on, you know, why can't my results even overlap with yours? You know, that kind of thing. Like none of like the the studies or whatever are, are coming out um, as confirmed in the same way. And that's where the replicate, you know, rep, re, replication crisis or whatever in psychology is coming in to play. And it makes you wonder, well, what is there any motivating factor? Is it, you know, it's publish or perish. It's get the grant or, you know, not have any money to do anything, you know. Literally, the grants help pay their salaries and the salaries of, you know, uh, their students. And it makes them relevant in the eyes of the deans at the universities. It's like there's so much crushing pressure. What the product that's coming out that they themselves, in a way, collectively, again, have to buy back from themselves because they did it like whatever. Like that is just a like. How good is it now? You know? Um, I was talking about on Twitter about how like there's in medicine a lot of these studies that come out about one thing or another about obesity or alcohol or blue toes or whatever. A lot of these are these studies that in the you know the 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 quality of evidence as the medical researchers deem it are at the lower end, you know, and that also it appears based on some studies. And I don't, I'm like, I'm not sourcing, citing any of my sources, but that seems to be a problem as well in that they like those kinds of studies. The New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times. So, I don't know. That's just one thing. So she's got this science communication thread and I'm like, ping, ping, ping. Like she's just flying out all over the place for me as I read it. And maybe that's just normal. Maybe that's normal in the everyday life of a human being on Earth 2020 who has a vested interest in something. It could be video games. It could be whatever, you know. But I was just... Since it's important, since it's COVID, since it's all this shit, I just thought, like, well, is it possible that the problem is already in place and something like COVID, like it does with everything else these days, exacerbates you know the the nature of the system or whatever it is the behavior of the system in a way that makes you know give people a real sense of fear and then put it in with this system of highly motivated people to get results you know seems like a perfect storm for a disaster for misinformation and confusion and all kinds of things anyway Liberate Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, as you're talking, so many issues come up in my brain that I wish I had been taking notes. One very basic question that I have is, 
So part, a major part of the point of this thread is to talk about how uh, money in science and how if you want to do research, you need to be able to finance much of it. It's not like how it works in philosophy, where I sent a grant proposal to um, Angela Merkel to, set, to try to get a new armchair. And she was like, nah, you know, what are you going to write? <laughs> think about while you're sitting in this armchair? I was like, I'm going to think about radical skepticism. And she was like, nah, I'm a quantum scientist, damn it. But we've got enough armchairs. But in science, you need all this money. So you need to write off to these uh, big... Uh, so qu one small question is, are most of them government? How many are private versus that? And then the other question is, who makes the disbursement decisions? Are the people who decide which research proposals to fund themselves scientists or somehow relevant? Are they aware? Are they or is it just, you know, who's, who decides where the money goes? Well, as I understand, um, I don't think that the reviewers necessarily, I mean, their reviews help decide who gets funded in a way. Um, but I do think that there are, I don't know, editorial officers at the NIH and NSF and stuff like that. People who do kind of in the end go, okay, we're going to sign off on this one and let this one go through. But that information doesn't just go straight to like a scientist's bank account. It has to get vetted through the university, right? It has to go or wherever institution that they have. And if it's, an, if it's a university, they may take a large cut of that. And then you get what's left over. So you have to come into you know you have to take into the calculation how much what the percentage tends to be in your university of the money they're going to take and then bump it up from there probably I mean it's uh, well so or you'll be with less right. I mean, part of this is just how many levels of bureaucrats there are whatever and you only the waste is a big part of it but I'm also just wondering when you've got let's imagine this very intelligent and interested earnest, honest individual who has an idea and they literally need some money to engage in the behaviors that they need to verify the likelihood of their idea. So they say, I need some money. And they go ask. Is the person they're asking like a Joffrey Baratheon type or whatever? Like, is it just, oh, we go to the king and they might be a 12-year-old kid who doesn't know a damn thing about anything. You know, who decides who gets the money? That person themselves ought to be, it seems, scientifically literate. And, yeah. are, and are they or why? I think, yes, at the NSF or NIH, for sure. I think these people have that in their background. I don't know if every single one does, but um, I'm guessing that a number of them do. You know, but part of it, like, when I worked for the... Part of it's like coming from like um, my work that I did with respect to the bias in the published literature stuff. Um, and then part of it's also coming from my background in just school. And then also with respect to uh, my time working for the IODP, which was the, it's not called the Integrated Ocean Drilling Program anymore, but it was at the time. It's now something else. Uh, anyway, and they had like their own, essentially their own liaison, the IODP, 
who is essentially just he worked in Washington D.C. and he was super political, but he was a scientist. And I'm guessing that a lot of the people he was trying to say, no, 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 we still need that $65 million a year money, you know, coming in because we're doing important work. I'm sure he was also talking to other scientists quite a bit who were at National Science Foundation who were part of the decision-making process because they got to be able to talk to each other in some way in order to maintain that. But they also are kind of swarmy politicians. Like the guy used to always come and give the same lecture. And he always gave the lecture. And we always had to sit there and watch. You know, it was just so weird. Like, he would just be like, anyway, here's an update. And we're like, no update. Like, he's, just like, he's got like 10 slides of the same thing. And he just talks and talks and talks. And he's just had that way about him. Um, always had that kind of smile. You know, that sort of fake shield smile that's just, you know, anyway. So I don't know. But in terms, as far as the universities are concerned, I do think it's an issue that they take money off the top for their purposes in order for you to be, because, hey, they've got electric bills or whatever. You're going to be in your lab burning the midnight oil. Some institutions take a lot, I think. I'm, I'm not, I mean, this is crazy because I don't know if this is true or not, but this one university in town... I heard it takes 50%. So Sounds like a lot. That's a lot in my thinking. Mm -hmm. So how much money? I mean, it's like, well, I need 200000 400000 I need. You know, like, that's crazy. Anyway, I don't know, but it depends on how big the stakes are. So you can see there's an incentive for higher stakes work, you know? So on the science side, the calculations going on in the scientist's head is, okay, well, I can do this or I can go be a barista. So I'm going to do high stakes science potentially, you know. They may not think this explicitly. They don't have to. They've gone through their whole bachelor's figuring out what they want to do. And I just love science and all that kind of shit. And then they go and maybe get, get their master's or they just go straight into their PhD. And they're like, oh, this is crazy, this world. And then their, you know, advisor's like, get to work. And they're like working 80 hour weeks or whatever and hating life. And But still finding time to write threads. Listen, science is great. I hope. I wish. Do these poor people have any time to think? Nope. Seems as though that might benefit us if our if our scientists were thinking a little bit. Well, we know they're not listening to the philosophers. <laughs> Another th artifact of this sort of institutionalized system <laughs> yes. is that it's slow. And in various ways, that's a good thing for the whole conservative precedent thing. But also, when some sort of relevant crisis happens, as I'm told <laughs> is on Earth right now, so, you know, isn't that a problem that our science is all wound up with money and peer review and all this stuff so that it acts so slowly? And or... When society or politicians want to move faster than science is able to move, that then does that create some gulf and that perhaps even gets worse and worse and worse as the politicians and the scientists drift apart in scale, in, of time scale of what they're able to do? Yeah. Yes. Shit. Makes it worse. Because the politicians who are in power right now 
are those damn fucking neolibs and they want to make money now. Now, 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 now. Like, uh, like in now, 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 now. Uh, that's them. That's their whole thing. Whenever, whenever you think of neoliberalism, just think of that. Now, now, now. Now, now, And now. you'll know. That's, that's the whole thing. My father used to say, he, he was a corporate guy. And he used to say, it has nothing to do with what you did for them yesterday. You could have made them a gazillion dollars. So what are you doing for me right now? That is the weight upon which you are valued, you know? Now. Now, 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 now. Money, 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 money. I want to make money now. Warren Buffett was like, if you're not making money while you sleep, well, dot, dot, dot. And, well, and in this case is what I was just stressing. We want to make policy now. Mm -hmm. So give me the information. And they're like, well, we don't have it yet. Nope. Now, now, now. And and there's an incentive to put out your stuff in archive or med archive or bio archive or whatever archive they call it. Archive.org. Everyone's got an archive. And the chi is the chi, you know, like chi square or whatever, like the Greek letters. Nod and say you understand me, Harlan. What are you talking about? Shut up. Go to archive.org on your computer right now. 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 No, no. No, no. <laughs> yes. One of the things that person whose name I don't recall wrote in her little tweeter thing. Kristen Hook? Uh, yeah. Captain Hook? Get away. Follow her That on made me. Give her a break for crying out loud. Well, Chimpy was when she wrote, as a scientist, part of our job is to secure funding. Leaving aside the whole as a X preface thing, which we have other, yeah. I have other problems Please with. Please do for right now. That bothers me. I don't think oh, securing funding has anything to do with science, or at least the aspects of it that seem relevant to me, the epistemic aspects. That, you know, I, so. And I guess this is, it ultimately wraps back to the original point of this goddamn podcast about dawdlers and hustlers. It's, this whole thing seems to be stressing. Yes, yes, How yes. if you want to make it, as a scientist, you need to be able to hustle. you got to hustle for your money and hustle for your, and, you know, I don't like it. There, any moment that a scientist spends on accumulating dollars is a minute they're not spending doing science. And, you know, can, what, isn't this a problem? Yeah, no, I mean, I remember, this is a little story. I don't know if I've ever told this, but I went to go see, uh, I wanted to, I was going down to uh, Berkeley, the California and Berkeley, to interview for, you know, PhD candidate or whatever to be something like that. And I kind of got the big tour and all that, and I end, the professor eventually passed me off to one of their students, and that student then eventually just like <laughs> dropped me in a in a office that the students have, and they were all like, "Hey, what's going on?" you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, "Hi," and I'm you know, possible prospective student. I'll apply here and whatever. And I was talking to this one girl, and she told me the only reason. Well, only, I suppose. A big reason why she 
is a candidate or was, this is, God, I'm old. This is probably more than 15 years ago. Uh, but the only reason why she was, you know, in uh, the lab that she was in was because she could teach anatomy and physiology because she took it. And she also had a big amount of experience with it. Uh, maybe at one time she wanted to be in the medical field. Usually that's something you got to do. And so she had a good, strong background in that. And the department there had an anatomy and physiology uh, you know, course. And the person who she was trying to get in with, uh, the professor, made the case for her there on that matter. And it wasn't, God, I think she's going to be a great scientist one day. It wasn't, you know, you know, she really blew me away. She just had all these ideas. She was a good thinker. I connected well with this person. I think will work well. I do. I think she's a finisher. I think she could definitely, she's proven. She's done research. She's done, no, it's like she can do this economic thing for us. We need one. That one just graduated or we just kicked them out because they're a failure or whatever it was. We spit them out and we need somebody to do that now. And the other thing she also said was, I just, I just wanted to do something different from whatever it was she was doing in her bachelor's or whatever that she is now as a PhD doing. So it's like, it'd be like you're an English major and you'd be like, I just want to do something different. And then you go become a civil engineer or something, you know? And it's just like, and, and my thinking was, how the fuck does somebody like that get to just walk right in? And there were probably plenty of other candidates, potentially myself, who had much stronger background in that field, who was coming already with the information given to me by my professors, because everybody's sharing all this stuff and all that kind of stuff. And I was reading my own stuff, whatever. Plenty of other people probably just like me. And she gets in because she's, you know, I, you know, I just, uh, like, that was her feeling on it. And I was like, I don't know. This seems like one of those situations where the professor's just going to literally write your thesis for you and say, stand here and say these words to these people and you will be a minted PhD or something. Because I don't know. Like, it just seems to me, when I talked to that professor, I did ask him questions like that. It's like, how many of these people come in and you got to really push them around to get the work done? He's like, a lot of them. You know, and I've heard that countless times now. And I've seen it. You're not motivated. It's going to be really hard to be a you know get your doctorate or whatever. Probably if you're not motivated, it's going to be really hard to get through the hard times when you're trying to become a medical doctor, or even a nurse practitioner or whatever. And so, I don't know. It just seems to me like it's just a machine, and it's driven by completely different motivations than those who would think. That yeah, it's that's the by. problem I was whining about. I guess is that it looks like the machine is driven by non-epistemic gas. And that's a problem, and that's why it's not surprising to some of us cynics that when bad shit happens, humanity's not very good at dealing with it. Because the way that people accumulate position and power and status is, you know, you do it by hustling. By going after, you know, oh, what, you know, what do I need to do? I need to get grants? Okay, well, I'll write grants now for 40 hours a week until I get it. Yep. Uh, and that if you design a system based around the hustle like that, you're going to get a bunch of, well, I mean, some, 
some of it it's that some of it's mere charisma and privilege like oh, of course like yeah. mr t getting to be the president and but whatever it is all these the filters that we have uh you float up for the wrong reasons and then we've got a bunch of idiots in charge of everything and then when when real problems happen we don't really deal with them so well because our experts, our higher our authority class, uh, is there for the wrong reasons. The experts are now expats. Like Tom Brady? Oh! <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, no, for sure. I, I was just thinking, like, how is this... How are scientists now any different than any other kind of worker you know like that can just be chewed up and spit out you know you know the factory worker you know or whatever it is like yeah okay you know like amazon or whatever you know those those warehouses where it's like you can get fired and rehired it doesn't matter but if you don't meet these efficiency metrics or whatever you went and peed too long or you fired come back in two weeks we'll hire you again you know or whatever maybe if you're good, you know, like if, if we like you again, you know, it's just scientists seem to be just part of that whole treadmill, just like any other group. Uh, I don't think it was always that way. Obviously, we have our heroes, Newton, Einstein, Darwin, and, but whatever the world today is, is not that. Now! Now! 